2: stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, channel 132.
0: The 37-year-old mother of six who just gave birth to twin daughters about eight weeks ago was returning home around midnight after visiting the babies at the
2: hospital when she was tragically killed in a suspected DUI
3: crash. That night was hell. I, I knew she was on her way home and when she wasn't home when I thought she should be home I got worried. Investigators are still awaiting toxicology results but say they suspect a 21-year-old female driver may have been impaired and slammed head-on into Evans's car after losing control while side another vehicle. We had people here when I told the kids uh, that their mom was gone and that was really important because every kid needed a hug and I could only really hug one at a time.
2: A young mother was on her way home from visiting her premature twin daughters, still in the hospital. She was heading home to her other four children to take care of them when tragedy strikes. A drunk Kim Kardashian lookalike enters the scene, and now mommy is dead. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories, and we want justice. Joining me right now, Dr. Chloe Carmichael, psychologist and founder of AnxietyTools.com. Also with me, Crime Stories investigative reporter Drew Nelson and Alan Duke joining me from L.A. Drew Nelson, I want to start at the beginning. What happened?
1: She's 21 years old. Uh, She We suppose she's been out drinking, or who knows what she'd been doing. What we do know is that her blood alcohol content level, 0.21. Now, the legal limit is 0.08. That's about the equivalent of one beer.
2: Almost three times over the legal limit. Nearly three
1: times the legal limit, and she goes out driving. She loses control of her car. Wait a
2: minute. Not only does she lose control, Drew Nelson, you're right about that, she actually jumps The central median, that's how bad she's out of control. I mean, Alan Duke, true, I may have run into a curb here and there, but jumping the median, I don't mean when you find out you're going the wrong way and you secretly get over the median a little bitty, like maybe, you know, six inch tall. I'm talking about a big concrete median designed specifically so this exact thing wouldn't happen. She jumps the median, Alan Duke. That's how drunk
1: she is. Right, cross the center median. This is Golden Valley Road near Santa Clarita. This is just maybe 15 miles from where I'm sitting right now.
2: You know, that's a huge median, and it's there for a reason to stop exactly this type of crash from occurring. You know, typically, Dr. Chloe, I don't know what kind of driver you are. I know you're a, a premier psychologist, but... You know when you, you you know you tap into something like you back in you, you know immediately and you veer away or stop your car, but this woman was so out of control this Kim Kardashian look about. I mean I'm not even going to comment on the sucked in cheeks. You know how when you take a selfie you go. <laughs> And, you know, do a pout. I'm trying to do it right now so you can hear it. But it's like all sucked in with a giant implanted lips, the puffed up trout pout, the, the, the hair parted down the middle, long black morticia looking hair. The, she's got the whole Kardashian thing down pat, except for the driver that would have avoided this this, this kind of a crash. Dr. Chloe, when you're so out of your gourd, you jump over a concrete median into oncoming traffic? What's that telling you, doctor?
0: Well, obviously, Nancy is somebody who is uh, completely inebriated, you know, beyond the, their capacity to make good decisions. But, of course, she actually did make the decision to put alcohol into her body. So I believe that she needs to be held accountable. Joining
2: me right now is Cheryl McCullum not only director of the Coal Case Institute, but former president of Mothers Against Drunk Driving Georgia. Cheryl, you know, this fact has never escaped me since you told me this many years ago. When a drunk driver is caught one time, how many times have they been driving drunk? That
4: is not the first time they've driven drunk. Absolutely, you're right. They've driven, on average, 11 times intoxicated before they're stopped the first time. So this is a habit of this perpetrator. I mean, Nancy, they drive drunk all the time. That's how they get where they're going. It's not a one-time thing. And you're talking now about a woman that has left six children without a mother. For what? For two beers? For three beers? For six martinis, whatever this woman chose to have when she got in the car, she took somebody's mother. This is a habit. And again, she has rendered six children motherless. Those precious premature babies, she won't hold them. She won't feed them. She won't have that bonding moment that they so desperately need. And
2: she did this for what? Cheryl, do you remember when the twins were born? Yeah, you would just throw me that yes. shower where all the cops and investigators and everybody from the DA's office showed right. up, and we had this great baby shower. And little do we know, almost, you know, immediately after that, mm-hmm. I would go into emergency cesarean. Right. And Lucy was only two mm. pounds, barely two mm. pounds. These two little girls. Of the victim in this case, were one pound each. And her husband, yes, I know she's the mother of six. I wish I was the mother of six, Cheryl. I know it sounds crazy, but I am so in love with the twins. Yeah. I would just love to expand it. This woman, according to her husband, had waited 15 years mm. to have these children. Two Baby girls, one pound each. You know how much they need their mother. They need round the clock care when they get home from the hospital, or at least my twins did. Of course. Round the clock. Remember, my mission was to keep them alive. Right. No question. And now, no mom. No mom.
4: And they need that bond. They need that mother in their eyes. They just do. And Nancy, again, She did this for what? Four drinks, six drinks. Okay, so six martinis, seven beers. You render six children motherless.
2: You know, to Dr. Chloe Carmichael, psychologist and creator of anxietytools.com, com. Dr. Chloe, why is it driving me so crazy to look at these selfish she keeps taking of herself, all decked out like Kim Kardashian? Why that is just really getting under my skin. And look, she's she's a beautiful young girl, the drunk driver, but the the I guess it's the self, um. C- congratulation the self absorption of all of these photos when I know what has happened
0: I can certainly understand why the selfies would drive you crazy as you said it really suggests in this particular case somebody who's actually quite selfish who doesn't have any empathy or regard for other people and who's literally making reckless um, you know life-ending choices for other people so of course those selfies um, drive you crazy it's totally understandable
2: You know, also to Drew Nelson, Crime Stories investigative reporter, the mom was thrown from the car and was pronounced dead immediately by first responders. I know she has four other children that she was on her way home to take care of. She's got four other boys, 12-year-old Spencer, 11-year-old Travis, 9-year-old Nathaniel, and 2-year-old Gideon. You know, and, and I can speak to nine-year-olds how much they need their mom because, you know, you, you think they need you when they're babies and you're changing their dipes and you're getting formula and milk down them and teaching them to walk and to spell, But really, as they get older, and Cheryl, I know you agree with this, they need you even more as they're navigating the world and they're coming home from school upset or there's a bully or there's this or there's that. They don't even remember you changing those diapers. So, Drew, I think I understand now, Drew Nelson, why she's been waiting 15 years. She finally had girls. She's got four boys.
1: She finally had these little girls. Yeah, and she's only been able to visit them at the hospital up until this point. You know, they'd only been born uh, just weeks earlier, Sarah and Hannah, these little girls. And you, you know what it's like to be waiting on twins. And here she is having to go to the hospital to visit them uh, and then go home to the boys. And what I have just uh, been discovering about this, this crash is just horrific. The, the, the woman we've been talking about, the 21 year old elect, uh, Messina, um, she had containers of alcohol in the car, according to the co- uh, to the police, there were open containers.
2: Cheryl McCollum with me, former president of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving Georgia. Weigh in on what you're hearing. I really want to hear your take on this.
4: Of course she did, Nancy. This is one crime that is so selfish. This is not somebody that shoplifts for Christmas presents for their children because they're broke. This is not somebody that steals food because they're hungry. This is somebody that willingly has total and complete disregard for, For whoever might be in their path, they don't give a damn. They're going to get in the car and they're going to drive. Of course, you had alcohol. And the other thing that is so just despicable and disgusting is, of course, she's fine. She's not injured at all. It's never the drunk driver. They get out like, what? What's
2: happened? Why is that? Why do they never get hurt, Cheryl McCollum? Every DUI manslaughter that I've ever seen, which, by the way, I don't think it should be manslaughter, which I'm going to get to. Yep. They're always fine. It's always the innocent victim that dies. Why is that? Well, one answer that I've been given is because they're so relaxed
4: because they're drunk. They're wasted. So they're just cruising around barely even, you know, so when they crash, their body is so relaxed, they just have no injury, whereas the other person tenses up and bones break and, you know, they suffer horrific damage. It's just one of the pathetic ironies of this crime.
2: You know, another issue, people always call it an accident. But I, as I have told many, many juries, Cheryl McCollum, it is no accident. It is a crash. And I say it's a murder. And This is my reasoning. You decide to go to a bar and drink. You know what? Fine. That's your decision. But then you decide to fish through your pocketbook and find your car keys. Mm -hmm. Then you decide to get another drink. Then you manage to get off that bar stool and head to the car. Then you decide to unlock it, open the door, and get behind the driver's seat. You know you've been drinking. You decide to crank it up, put it in reverse, ease out, and put it in drive. You decide to get out on the highway. That's your decision. All calculated decisions. And the law says, Cheryl McCollum, as you and I have both said before, the law. Presumes you intend the natural consequence of your act. In other words, if I were to take a piece of fine china and throw it to the cement floor, I couldn't then say, Well, I meant to throw it, but I didn't mean for it to break. The law presumes you intend the natural consequence of your act. Absolutely. So you get in the car drunk and start driving on a busy freeway. What do you think's gonna happen, Cheryl? And Nancy, there's not one
4: person at her age that did not have something in her high school, something in her middle school where they, you know, teach dare. They have, you know, drummed this into people about .08 and drinking and driving and the dangers.
2: She knew it. She didn't
4: care. And now she's a murderer as far as I'm concerned.
2: I want you to listen to what her husband, an aerospace engineer, has to say who's now raising six children four boys and two premature baby girls still in the NICU neonatal intensive
3: care unit right now
2: what he has to say about losing his beautiful wife
3: that night was hell I I knew she was on her way home and when she wasn't home when I thought she should be home I got worried we had people here when I told the kids uh, that their mom was gone And that was really important because every kid needed a hug, and I could only really hug one at a time. I'm sure she's going to watch over them for the rest of their lives. There's still so much good in this world, and we are seeing it firsthand. And I think that is the thing that's sustaining me right now. To Dr. Chloe Carmichael, psychologist and founder
2: of anxietytools.com, what do you think this dad is going through right now? I cannot even imagine
0: Oh, Nancy, um, it must just be, as you said, almost beyond what we can comprehend because a man has an innate desire uh, to protect and to care for women. That's really something that Mother Nature and evolutionary or evolution kind of programmed into men, and that's actually heightened. Uh, when the woman has given birth, because, you know, of a lot of complex reasons with evolutionary psychology, but she's actually helping to pass on his genes at that particular moment. So um, in terms of evolutionary psychology, he has a heightened sense of protection. And then just through being socialized, of course, as well, his wife has just given birth. He has a naturally heightened desire to protect and shelter her. So for this to happen at this particular moment when he was soaring in the heights of, you know, basking and being for the sixth time now a father with this woman and they had four older boys and now they have these two little girls, every protection bone in his body was amplified at the moment of this terrible Um, you know, as you're saying, just what what feels in many ways almost like a murder of somebody that just took a a huge piece of steel and and drove it into her car and and had her thrown into the air and violently killed. Um, So the the type of anguish and and loss as well as anger uh, that he must be feeling right now is almost unfathomable.
2: Let's pause just one moment to thank our partner today, making our SiriusXM XM 132 program possible. It's LegalZoom. Let's pause just one moment to thank our partner. It's Link AKC. Guys, you know how much I love our family dog, Nitro, a.k.a. Fat Boy, and how I'm always on the lookout for fun, new things we can try. Well, I found this amazing new collar, and it is called Link AKC. AKC, and it is so much more than just a collar. Backed by the American Kennel Club, Link AKC Collar is a GPS locator, a fitness activity tracker, and a smartphone app all rolled into one. I love the GPS locator part. You always know where your dog is. Did he get out of the yard? Did he jump the fence? You can see exactly where your dog is at all times right on the app total peace of mind my favorite part is the activity and wellness tracker you know it doesn't matter how old your dog is whether it's a pure breed a mixed or a mutt like fat boy link akc shows the exact amount of activity every dog needs i wish my fitness band did that i may not want to know the answer it's easy to set up there are sizes for every dog and it's super comfortable And Link AKC looks great on Fat Boy. Head to our Instagram and Facebook to check out the picture I posted of Fat Boy in his collar. He's looking good. Keep your dog safe, happy, healthy. It all got even easier with a special offer from Link AKC. Go to Link akc.com and use code NANCY to save 30% on your order with free shipping. Hello, code NANCY, N-A-N-C-Y, to save 30% on your order with free shipping at linkakc.com. Linkakc.com, code NANCY. Thanks, Link AKC. A 21-year-old drunk Kim Kardashian lookalike crosses the median at point two. One slams into a mother of six on her way home from visiting her premature twins that she had waited 15 years to have. Mother of six, premature twin girls on her way home to the other four children when tragedy strikes. Is it true, Drew Nelson, Crime Stories investigative reporter, that she also hit another vehicle? She hit two cars that night?
1: Two cars. And then as she collided with the mother of six, who knows how fast she was going? at that time. I mean, imagine 25 miles an hour, just, just 25 plus 25 miles an hour for the other car. That's a 50 mile an hour force. And mm, mm. This, this mother of six is thrown from the car. You
2: know, Cheryl, she was almost home. And I know that doesn't mean anything probatively. It doesn't prove anything. She was one mile from home. How tired do you think she was? Cheryl just trying to get home. She's taking mm. care of four boys, that's not the easiest, and the husband's working full-time in the aerospace field. Her lifelong dream of having girls finally happens, and she couldn't wait to take care of them at the hospital, still in intensive care, and is driving home one mile. She almost made it, Cheryl.
4: You know, Nancy, they always tell you, within that five-mile radius, so again that tells you that this criminal was in a residential district she had no care or concern who was in her path it could have been an elderly person it could have been a handicapped person it could have been a small child she did not care and horrifyingly it's a mother of six that was doing nothing wrong she was doing everything in the world right
2: what does it say to you, Cheryl McCollum, former director of Mothers Against Drunk Driving Georgia, that she had open contain ERS, E-R-S, that's plural, of alcohol in her car? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't wait to get home or to a bar. you got to drink in the, on the way. Yeah, she's an alcoholic, and everybody in her social group knows it, and her
4: family knows it, and they're going to try to deny it, but she drinks till she blacks out. This has been going on since college, and, you know, this is probably not the first run-in She's probably had speeding, she's probably had reckless driving. she may or may not even have a DUI, but I am telling you she has driven drunk more than once because again, this is a woman that by herself she's not in the car with six people where she's partying, and they're all headed to spring break. she's alone, and she's a point two one. The legal limit is point zero eight. She would not even try
2: be almost three. Times the legal limit, you know. The other day, uh, I dragged the twins to go walk our crazy mutt dog, Fat Boy, with me. And John David, you know, all the boys were the, the baggy pants, so he had these big, baggy shorts on, and he put a water bottle in each bottle in, in, in each pocket, which made him go, you know, they were like hanging down. I'm like, what are you crossing the Sahara? You got to have two water bottles. We're well, only going 40 minutes. You can make it. Okay, be strong, son. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just thinking, it just struck. She has to have two containers of booze at least, because they say containers, to get from what her house to the gas station or the bar to the house or the house to the bar. She can't make it there without downing some booze, Cheryl McCollum. She's probably not even going to the bar, Nancy. This is how she travels, I'm telling you. When she leaves her house, she's got her flask
4: or whatever the container is that she's got open. And this is how she's going to Walmart. This is how she's going to get her nails done. This is how she lives. She's a drunk. And, and you know, you're talking about three times the legal limit. She should serve three times what a normal person would serve. She needs to go to prison. You know what,
2: Cheryl? I'm afraid you and I have really just seen too much of this world because, um, not that I want to leave. Don't get me wrong, Lord. But when you said flask, do you know what John David, my son, who's nine, said? He goes, Mom, I want a flask. And I'm like, what's a flask? Of course, I knew what it was, but I was hoping he didn't know. He went, you know, you put stuff in it to drink. I'm like, son, why do you want a flask? And he went, Mom, I want to put cold milk in it. And it took all of my strength. Not to start laughing. And you know what I did, right? Oh, yeah. When, when the next place we were at Target or so I don't know where we were. We saw a flask. I'm like, look, John Day, there's a flask. Oh, we were at the hardware store, and they had him for, like, campers or something. And I got him a flask. He came home. He didn't even clean it out. I'm like, did you clean it out first? He went, no. He poured milk in it and started drinking it. <laughs> And I think where he saw it was on Harry Potter. I don't know how much you watch it, but we've read them all and watched them all. And Mad-Eye Moody drinks from a flask all the time. And John David saw it and decided we put a milk <laughs> in a flask. Oh, mercy. Oh, wait till you get so when I, school. and you and I, you know, we just have, and when Cheryl is spouting all this information out, it's because she, we've done it so many times. I mean, come on, Jackie, here in the studio, when you go to Target or or Walmart or wherever you go, do you carry two bottles of booze with you just to make it to water? I mean, I wouldn't even think of it. And she's right. This is how she rolls. But you know what? We're, we're talking lightheartedly about flasks and Walmart and Target and polyjuice potion and Harry Potter. Let's bring it all home. Alan, please, let's hear one more time. Katie Evans, husband.
3: That night was hell. I, I knew she was on her way home. And when she wasn't home, when I thought she should be home, I got worried. We had people here when I told the kids uh, that their mom was gone. And that was really important because every kid needed a hug, and I could only really hug one at a time. I'm sure she's going to watch over them for the rest of their lives. There's still so much good in this world, and we are seeing it firsthand. And I think that is the thing that's sustaining me right now.
2: For those who wish to help, the family of Katie Evans. Drew Nelson, Crime Stories investigative reporter, is there a way we can help?
1: Look at the website youcaring.com. This, it shows a picture from, from happier times. The four boys, dad and mom. The, the girls the, aren't in the picture because they haven't been able to come home yet, but the six children uh, on this website youcaring.com and look for the Evans Family Accident Expense Fund.
2: And if you can't contribute that way, I'm sure they can use your prayers. And now we go to Panola County, Mississippi, and one of the most horrific cases court watchers have seen, which in the last hours has resulted in a mistrial It's all about a young cheerleader, Jessica Chambers, a cheerleader all the way through high school who was literally burned alive. The evidence has pointed to the defendant, Quentin Tellis who admits he was with her throughout the evening on and off, their text messages are playing a major role in this investigation, where he continually, via text message, pressured her to have a romantic relationship. Well, I'm putting that euphemistically. I'm definitely putting perfume on the pig. He was pressuring her for sex over and over and over, and you can see on the text messages where she kept saying, no, 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 leave me alone, no, no, no. Then how is it that they are alone in her car by his own admission up until 7.30 p.m. the evening? She is doused with gasoline and set on fire. What, somebody else comes along in that 30-minute window? From the time he left her and the time she's spotted on the side of the road burning alive? That's kind of hard for me to believe. To Shane Dieter joining us, assignment editor with WATN. Shane, thank you for being with us. Let's start at the beginning. What happened the night that Jessica Chambers was spotted by a motorist wearing nothing but her underwear? Her bra had melted off her body. Asking for help. What happened?
5: Cool Healy, uh... A former fire chief of that area was the first person on scene. And uh, Cole, at the time, said that he asked Jessica Jessica, who she was. He described how she looked. Wait a minute.
2: He told the jury that the moment he saw her, he knew It was Jessica Chambers. It's a very low population. Everybody knows each other. And she comes out of the woods. Her car is on fire. It's totally destroyed by fire out in a field. She comes walking up along the the roadway on fire. And he knows it's Jessica Chambers right then and there. Right.
5: He asked her her name to verify it. And her answer... Of course, you got to remember, she's on fire. She's in incredible pain. She said Jessica Timbers. And she
2: obviously couldn't speak correctly. Mark Tate also with me, veteran multi-state defense attorney practicing out of the Savannah jurisdiction. Mark, when I spoke to the father, which I did in depth, he told me that at the time doctors believed the perpetrator had poured Gasoline or lighter fluid down her mouth and throat. That's how badly right. her insides were burned. She could hardly speak, it's horrific, yeah. which becomes very important later on. So she, they couldn't even understand when she tried to say chambers, it sounded like something completely different. Why is that so significant that she can't speak, Mark Tate?
6: The reason that's significant, Nancy, is this. Dying declarations uh, carry a lot of evidentiary weight. Uh, especially in this instance. And so she identified later uh, a name of the person who set her on fire. And people who were interviewing her said it sounded like she said, TELUS or Eric or something along those lines. And so as a result of that dying declaration, law enforcement proceeded to conduct interviews of numerous people who had those names and ruled them all out. And so the notion is that her, gosh, it's just, unbelievable that her mouth and tongue and teeth were so destroyed that she couldn't speak correctly but that the word that she said was so close to the name of the man who clearly had contact with her throughout the evening and day and has evidence of uh having harassed her for sex the name sounds close enough and so that's the argument to the jury i think it's a good argument and I think the judge was correct in letting that evidence in as a dying declaration to let the jury determine whether, in fact, she identified her uh, her killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got no that problem. One
2: with word. It. You're so right, Mark Tate. Shane Dieter joining me, Assignment Editor, W A T N. Shane, when the fire chief got there, as you were just telling us, I mean, the woman, she can't talk. She's been on fire in fact every square inch of her body was burned except for the soles of her feet and her rear end where she had been sitting in the car where i think she was raped in the car myself because shane isn't it true that Tellus himself says they quote had sex in the car
5: yes nancy uh he said that they had sex in the passenger seat of her car
2: And so how is it, Shane Dieter, that all these text messages where she's saying no, 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 and then she apparently gives him a ride, next thing you know, whoops, they're having sex, and now she's dead? It sounds to me more like she was raped in the car, and he had to get rid of her, or else she would report the rape, and she ends up set on fire. Now, Shane, what happened? Mark Tate, uh, the multi-state defense lawyer, was describing some of the facts. But what happened when the fire chief spoke to her?
5: At first, Nancy, he said he was trying to get her help and all of that. He s- said that he couldn't understand the name that she said, which everyone has said uh, in testimony. She said, Eric. He said that he had his ear down to her mouth. He couldn't understand it. And then a couple days later, when he was doing his written statement, then he said, she said, Eric. So uh, eventually, he said he couldn't.
2: Yeah, he asked her, who did this to you? And she tried to say a name, a single word. And he said it sounded like Eric. Here's the fire chief.
5: What was this person wearing?
2: When I seen her, she had
7: nothing on but her pants
5: and what did you tell me you did
7: you you got a blanket I got out and I got a blanket and she had her arms out was coming towards me saying help me help me help me!"
5: Nicole I want you to describe for this jury what type what did she look like what was the condition of Jessica
7: Chambers her hair was uh... her hair was fried out like she would stuck it in a light socket and uh, she had black all over her face. Her body was severely burned and just all the way down her body was, was, was very badly burned and I proceeded to lay her down on the ground. She reached out for my hand, I held on to her hand, and I talked to her, and I asked her her name, and she said, what come out, like I said, her, her mouth, inside her mouth was just charred black, and could not understand her. Very well at all. Were you able to get a name? When I asked her her name, she said Jessica Chambers. And like I said, she was not recognizable to me. I know what Jessica Chambers looked like, did not look like Jessica Chambers at the time. Now, Describe
5: her voice for the jury. How was it coming out when you were talking to her? It was
7: very garbled and just dry. I mean, you know, I was I was face to face with her, and she, uh, like I said, you uh, could you could barely understand her, and, and she she kept asking for water and. And, and I knew in my mind she didn't need water. I knew that was not the best, you know, not to give her water. I held her hand beside her and asked her what happened. And she told me she said I was set on fire. Again, was her voice clear? It was not, uh, not clear, and the, like I said, You know some words come you were able to tell what they were plainly, but it was not clear if that makes sense. Did you ask her who did this to her? I asked her, I said who did this to you she tried to say a name. I could not understand the name. Did it sound like anything to you? I could I could not make out anything to what she said. The only time I heard a name was after uh, Daniel Cole got on scene, Medstat got there and I believe a deputy was there and they had turned her head away from me, and they had started packing her up and they kept questioning her, you know, Uh, Who did this? Who did this? Who did this? And then I heard them say Eric. Like I said, I never, personally, I never heard her say
2: a name. They went on, though, the first responders, there were eight of them, plus the chief, and they said that they couldn't understand what she was saying. The emergency equipment was blaring in the background. All these fire trucks, then, and police. All these people were there, and she couldn't speak, and she was barely whispering. And then they said they couldn't make out the word. But Mark Tate, let me compare it to the moment in court when Orenthal James Simpson, O.J. Simpson, <laughs> held up the glove, which was dried blood, soaked with dried blood, and shrunken, and he pulls it over his fingers. That let's just say the top digits, and says, "It doesn't fit." And that one thing was the linchpin in the not guilty verdict. That one moment. And that's how I say what I'm saying about this dying declaration. Just like I know darn well that was his glove because (laughs) Nicole Brown bought it for him. And there's proof of that plus a receipt and a picture of what she bought him. It's that glove. Okay. And I know in this case, the drama of a dying declaration where she allegedly said, Eric, I think she was trying to say, tell us, but they thought she said Eric. They didn't know the name tell us. And so they figured they deciphered. She said, Eric, and that is what hung this jury up. I'm telling you.
6: Well, first of all, let me about the Simpson trial. I think there was a whole lot going on there besides the gross prosecutorial mistake of crying the, the jury show. I think we had a judge. Uh, Yeah, you and
2: I both know, never do a demonstration. You have not practiced. Oh, yeah.
6: But I think, I, I agree with you, but the judge let the defense team run rampant. And I think that he was impressed with the celebrity status of his trial, and I think that he and the way he conducted that trial contributed in large part. There's no question that the prosecutors made a tragic error, and boy, they paid for that tragic error and continue to in their careers because they they're never going to live that down. Similar to this case, I think we have a judge who made a mistake, and I'll talk about that when you're ready. But the things that you have gone over about whether the police chief could hear her at the time she was making her dying declaration or whether he remembered it later, whether the first responders who had the the sirens blaring with them could not understand and hear her. Yeah, that's all good. That's great evidence for the defense to put on and cross-examine these witnesses with in order to create a doubt. And that is, listen, it, it, it is circumstantial evidence It it is something that should be examined and questioned.
2: Well, yeah, but I think you're right to start with. I think the judge should have allowed the dying declaration in. You can't keep something like that out. You'll get reversed on appeal. If they thought she said Eric at the time, the jury has a right to know that. You can't, you know, sweep it under the rug. They thought she said Eric. In retrospect, they realize that's not what she's saying because... I mean, the other evidence is so overwhelming. Dr. Chloe Carmichael, psychologist joining us and founder of anxietytools.com. Dr. Chloe, I mean, let's take a look at Quentin Tellis' own words. First of all, he changed his story multiple times. Finally, the story he decided to go with was that he was with a friend of his the whole night. Well, of course, police find the friend. The friend says, what? I wasn't even in the state. I was out of the state that night. I've been gone. So he's lying blatantly. He admits he had, quote, sex with Jessica. Well, we know that he had been rebuffed over and over and over. The state's theory is that he, quote, had sex, I call, raped her, and asphyxiated her in the car. That then he had to get rid of the evidence. So he goes to his house where he admits he keeps a 5 gallon drum of gasoline. And he's caught on surveillance video leaving the house where the shed is with the gas. And within 15 minutes, she's on fire. I mean, oh, also, Dr. Chloe, he deletes all the texts from his phone that referenced to Jessica. Now, why would you do that? If my husband which is not, I don't want this, has some kind of an accident, I don't run to my phone and delete every text from him. Why would I do that?
0: Well, you're absolutely right, Nancy. It feels like a coordinated pattern here. Um, So uh, of course, why, why would he lie to the police in the first place? So right there, he's demonstrating a disregard for law and order. And of course, the idea that he would have sex with her and then be seen getting a five gallon jug of gasoline, um, it's it doesn't seem like it's that difficult to understand. Um, you know, what, what- well,
2: he was seen leaving the spot with where the gas can had been. I mean, you can't, you don't know what he's got with him, but I mean. Yeah, Dr. Chloe, I mean, what, what do you need? A video of him killing her? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I, I agree completely. And I mean, there's also the fact that, you know, behavior does often tend to occur in patterns. And from what I understand, uh, this Quentin Verdell Tellis is also currently under investigation for another murder because he was using the credit card of a woman that, that was murdered as well. So it, it seems like he certainly has a pattern of being involved around, you know, women who are murdered.
2: Dead women. Exactly. Dead women. Mm -hmm. You know, Dr. Chloe Carmichael, psychologist joining us, you just read my mind. I guess you're clairvoyant to boot. Because Shane Dieter joining us from WATN, the fact is he's also facing trial in Louisiana for the murder, the torture slaying of a graduate student there. Her name was Singh Lo, and she was brutally stabbed multiple times. Then after she was stabbed, oh, and many of those stabs, Shane, were torture stabs. In other words, like slicing her down the arm to try to get information about her passcode for her ATM. Then after she gives it up, she's murdered, and he... It's absolutely proven by photographic evidence uses her ATM card repeatedly after she's dead. Correct. So, there you go. There's another dead woman. Everywhere he goes, he leaves a trail of dead bodies.
5: He is he is a bad guy. I mean, she was an exchange student from Taiwan. She was at the University of uh, Louisiana Monroe, and he now sits in Washington Parish jail there and That's where he was when, February of 2016, he got the indictment for the murder of Jessica Chambers.
2: Well, the jury has hung. The jury has hung regarding Jessica Chambers. But, Mark Tate, it ain't over yet. They're going to retry him on that. What do you think they'll do any differently second time around, Mark?
6: Well, first of all, this will allow me to comment on, on the judge. And, you know, it's dangerous for a trial lawyer to say something negative about a judge. But at least from what has been reported about the charge he gave the jury, this judge did not charge correctly. He told the jury that they had to have a unanimous verdict for a guilty verdict, but he did not tell them that it had to be unanimous for a, for a not guilty verdict. And so he corrected that charge when the, when the jury came out and said they're deadlocked, and, yeah, and they came back right. and could not resolve it. And I, if I recall correctly, it was a 7-5.
2: It was 7-5 in favor of guilty, and at first they came out twice with uh, verdicts. The first time they said not guilty because they thought you had to be unanimous on guilty, and if you weren't unanimous on guilty, then it just automatically was a not guilty. They did not understand the law. But all that, you're you're absolutely right on the law, as usual, Mark Tate. But to me, it's neither here nor there now because there was a hung jury. So there's not going to be an appeal. There's going to be a retrial. They're going to retrial I'll tell case. you this. They better be ready and hit that digital evidence and hit it hard because there's no way in H-E-double-L that this guy <laughs> was with her at 7.30, 7.45, and at 8 o'clock, she's running down the road or approaching the road almost naked on fire.
6: Right. Uh, I would and question, she's with
2: him 15 minutes before? Uh-uh.
6: Yeah, I would question. They got to hit the timeline and the digital evidence. I mean, I, I think that's the strongest case. If I were the prosecutor, I would uh, seriously question whether I wanted to get into the evidence where the dying declaration seemed to be shifting and somewhat soft.
2: Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend.